You're now locked in to HBCU Pulse. We're the number one outlet for HBCU life, talking about everything that's important to our culture, from on-campus issues to politics and what's trending on the yard. We always keep that same energy. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. You're listening to the HBCU Sports Playbook on HBCU Pulse Radio. What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the founder of HBCU Pulse and the host of HBCU Pulse Radio in the building for another special edition of the show on today. It is November. It's a lot going on. Playoffs coming up. Championship week in D2 that we're going to get into in one second. Elections coming up. I was up almost all night until I passed out. It's a lot going on. All right. Ario, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, lack of sleep with you. I was probably up to like two o'clock this morning looking at the races too, because a lot it was a a lot of stations were doing terrible. I think this is probably not one of the worst, but it wasn't the greatest election night that I've seen. But it's still going on. It's still crazy. So I'm with you. Lack of sleep, but I'm happy to be here. I'm super excited because this week is the championship weeks for the CIAA and also the SIAC. And, of course, like Deion said, he's swack. Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, I'm Sayak. okay? I'm real life. Shannon Sharp, all right? Tyrone Poole, Greg Lloyd, Rayfield Wright. Listen, we like that down here. And people play with us. FAMU was Sayak. Alabama and them used to dominate. They they left the side and went to the swag. They used to dominate out here back in the day. So we're Sayak out here. So I'm a represent from my school. But after we talk about the CIAA, because they're just as significant, so much amazing football. But before I start, Ario, I'm gonna be talking a whole lot. Are you excited for for, for the D2 football playoffs and the, the D2 championship? Are you excited about it? Because it feels like something's different this year, you know? Well, I mean, I'm I'm super excited. I'm not going to lie. Listening to your last analysis, I've been and going to certain homecomings. I've been, you know, kind of peeping and just looking like, wow. Like, D2, honestly, D1 this year was, it was good. It had its ups and downs. It wasn't the greatest season that I expected, but D2 filled in for that. So I'm so excited to watch it this weekend, come back to you and talk about it, hear your analysis. So I'm not, you know, confused or looking at it improperly and be like, well, I want this. I No, I don't have time for that. Cause I, I want a real discussion with you next week. Cause these two, these next four teams that are facing off are outstanding in the way that they've been playing and the way that we've been watching them. I can't wait to see who wins either or. But, um, yeah, this is – I go ahead. Like, this is different. We're okay. starting to show with these because they're important. So, give me up to speed. Give me up to date. Let's go. Yeah, and, and I want to make sure you chimed in because I don't want people to be like, man, he talking a whole lot. Like, I thought he had a co-host. Like, I, it's, we, we, we planned this out. It's for a reason. And I, I do talk a lot. But we're we going to talk a lot about this, this D2, all right? So, let's go on and get into it. So, we're going to start with the CIAA because it is super-duper important because this is history that's going on in the CIAA. So, Chawan University is facing off against perennial CIAA South winner, Fayetteville State University. And Chawan is very much so a PWI. It is a white school in a black conference, all right? So, I want to just specify that because that's the real storyline going on here. And I was wrong because I thought that Virginia Union, it was going to be the rematch. Jada Byers versus Fayetteville State. 
No, it didn't happen because Chowan messed it up. Just like how in 2009 we didn't see Kobe versus LeBron because Dwight Howard messed it up. It's just like that for HBCU football. So th there you go. All right, so Chowan, this is the first CIAA championship appearance since they joined in October of 2008, and they're the first non-HBCU to appear in the CIAA championship. So they unseated Bowie State, which has dominated the CIAA North. Like Bowie won three straight years, 2018, 2019, and 2021. As you already know, COVID ruined the football season in 2020, so we didn't have a season. And D2, a lot of the D2 schools, the, in the SIAC and the CIAA, they played independently, but it wasn't a sponsored season by the CIAA or the SIAC. So, you know, you had schools that play, you know, teams that weren't in conference, uh, but there was no championship, no anything like that. So Chowan is interesting because they also beat previously undefeated Virginia Union University, 26 to 21. And also Chowan, here's the thing with Chowan. So Chowan beats Bowie. Chowan beats, beats uh, Union. Chowan beats Virginia State. Mind you, they were projected to finish fifth in conference and third in the CIAA North. Like, people knew they would be good, but they didn't realize that Chowan would be a championship contender and really break up the dominance that Bowie has had on the conference and halt what Virginia Union has been building this year. Because this was Virginia Union's year, and it didn't happen, you know? So... Let's go into Chowan and, you know, how they can win this game because they can win this game. And I know that people don't want to hear this. I know that people don't want to talk about it because this is a PWI in an HBCU conference. I get it, but it can happen. Chowan has been playing amazing. And the fact that they beat Bowie and beat Virginia Union, it was low-scoring affairs. They played great defense against Virginia Union. They have a chance to win this game, and here's how. So they have to find a way to score on Fayetteville State's dominant defense. So you have Chawan that's averaging 24 points per game, 170.6 yards per game rushing, and 189 passing yards per game. But Fayetteville State with defense, they're holding teams to 131-yard rushing and 114 yards passing and only five passing touchdowns. So we talked about Rashad McKee last week. So if Rashad McKee can get going, Fayetteville State could be in a lot of trouble. And here's the thing. So Fayetteville State beat Shawan 13-10. And you would think, wow, they played each other. So this is the basis in which we can see how the game is going to be in the championship. No, it's not. Rashad McKee didn't play. Now, I tried to do some digging. Couldn't really find why. I don't know if it was an injury or maybe he just didn't play up to this point. But, you know, they, they did pretty well. And we'll talk about those numbers in a second. But Rashad McKee is a new quarterback that most likely is going to be starting on Saturday. And he's a different wrinkle in the offense. Because if you look at Rashad McKee's like numbers, you know, just on the year for offense, He's 68 for 116 passing, 865 yards he's thrown for. He's thrown eight touchdowns, only five interceptions on the year since he's been playing. And then even in rushing, you know, he's had three rushing touchdowns. He runs for 5.3 yards per attempt. So I think he can get creative. So you just never know because one thing we know when you watch Fayetteville State, especially that game against Virginia Union, like they're going to bring pressure. Like they have an amazing defensive line that we're going to talk about their defense more in depth in a second. But they're going to bring pressure to Chawan. So how Rashad McKee handles that is going to be interesting. And then they play tough teams. 
Like, I honestly think that that show one had to run through a gauntlet to get to this point. Because if you look at Fayetteville State, Fayetteville State pretty much dominated, you know, in, in the CIAA South. They had some close games, but we knew they were going to win, and they had a dominant defense that stifled their opponents in the CIAA South. But in the North, you had Jada Byers, like you had Bowie that has an explosive offense. So it's like they had to deal with a little bit more, and they had to get into some battles, and especially some heated defensive battles. So let's look at that Bowie matchup for Rashad McKee. Rashad McKee was 17 for 33 passing, 270 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and he rushed 15 times for 56 yards. That says a lot to me, 270 passing yards. Like, that says a, a, a lot when you don't see quarterbacks throw for that much, especially at this level, because you see for, for a lot of college teams, especially in D2, in the psych and the CIAA, they rush a lot. Like, they're run-first teams, and then they allow the run to gear up for the pass. But against Virginia Union, this is what was, what was interesting to me. His numbers were lower, but he was able to get the job done because he had two passing touchdowns. He was 12 for 20, so he was very efficient, 195 passing yards, and he rushed 16 times for 31 yards. So what I'm seeing is that he's starting to get out of the pocket more. He's starting to see when he didn't have anybody open, he's not going to throw it away, he's not going to take the sack, he's going to run. And that's something that you're going to need against a defense that's dominant at Fayetteville State. You need a quarterback that's going to be a playmaker. You don't got to be Lamar Jackson. You don't got to be Michael Vick. You just got to be someone that can make something happen. Pick up some yards. Don't lose yards. When they come at you, don't be, don't get scared. Tuck the ball and run. That's what's going to be needed because they're going to need to put up points and try their best to put up points against this dominant defense. And the fact that he did not play in Chawan's loss to Fayetteville State 13-10 on September the 29th, I think that's going to be really tricky for Fayetteville State because they're going to have to really find a way to figure him out. And here's the thing, Chawan struggled to score. Mind you, 13-10. Chawan struggled to score. Fayetteville State did too. But one thing that Chawan did that has me like, hmm, I'm a little bit nervous, is that Chawan moved down the field. They had, 100, they had 170 rushing yards, 227 passing yards, 19 for 31 on September 29th against Fayetteville State. 11.9 yards per passing attempt. Here's the problem. Only had one touchdown. That's the problem. Is if you, and you got to score to win. That's sports. You got to score to win. So if you don't score, if you get in the red zone and you don't score, what you doing? So if they find a way to score, I don't know. Because they were moving the ball down the field against a dominant Fayetteville State team that played Virginia Union 31-28. They lost that game, but Fayetteville State jumped out 14 to zero in that game. I watched it. They jumped out on Virginia union and they only lost 28 to 31. So it's not like, Oh, this is the start of the season. They're getting into form. You, you should see them later on in October. They played Virginia union, almost beat them, almost ruined that undefeated season before Virginia union got to, got to Chawan. So that's something that really is pivotal to look at. If they can move the ball down the field and Rashad McKee can be the guy to be the playmaker, that's what's going to be important and that's what's going to be interesting. He's the player that you need to watch. Fayetteville State, if you want to know, listen, how can we win this game? The defense has to find a way to, to make sure Rashad McKee doesn't win this game for what you want. He's a really great quarterback. So let's talk about Fayetteville State University. 
So Fayetteville State University, they've been the CIAA South champions for four straight years, but they've been a perpetual loser to Bowie in 2018, 2019, and in 2021. They remind me of, like, the Cavaliers in NBA, you know, when LeBron was on there and he could lose to the Warriors. Bowie's the Warriors. Like, they're, they're, they were a dynasty. And people don't talk about it because they don't respect D2, but just like North Carolina a t was a dynasty, just like we see Jackson State coming to prominence in this Deion Sanders era. Like, Bowie was, is a dynasty. And that's why you see Damon Wilson, Coach Wilson, got the opportunity to go coach in the MEAC at Morgan State. Because not only were they successful in the CIAA, they were also successful in the playoffs. So, Fayetteville State has always dominated in the CIAA South, especially these past two years. But they've never been able to take the gold. And I thought this year they wouldn't be able to because I thought that Virginia Union and Jada Byers they, they'd capture it, and they, this would be their year. But now you have a Chawan team that's in front of you that I believe is beatable. This is not Bowie of the past few years. This isn't the Virginia Union team that you faced before. This isn't Jada Byers. So I believe that Fayetteville State could win their first championship this year because people knew they were going to be the CIAA South champion. They were predicted to finish number two behind Bowie and number one in the CIAA South in the preseason poll. People knew, experts knew, fans knew. We all knew that they were going to be good. But we always knew that maybe when they make the championship, they're going to make it. Are they going to be able to beat a Virginia Union or Bowie and finally make it over the hump? They lost to Virginia Union. I thought that that would be our first chance to see them match up before the CIAA championship. Like I said, it was a hard-fought game, but they beat Chawan right after that. You know, and I honestly believe that for Fayetteville State, this is their time. Bowie has stumbled this year. Union didn't make it because Chawan beat them. This is your time. So how can Fayetteville State win this game? So I talked about Rashad McKee as we talked about Chawan. But let's talk about Fayetteville State's defense. They hold teams to 131 yards rushing, like I said, and the key is 114.1 yards passing, and they've only given up five passing touchdowns. And you have to look at the quarterbacks that have gone against Fayetteville State. So you have Josh Jones that plays for UNC Pembroke. He was 17 for 30, 222 yards passing, zero touchdowns. You have Fayetteville State, they won 15 to 13. Then when they played Caleb Pierce, who played as the quarterback for Chawan instead of Rashad McKee that game when Fayetteville State won 13 to 10, he was 19 for 31, 227 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. So those are two quarterbacks that played the best against this Fayetteville State defense. Rashad McKee can put up those numbers as well. He can put up those numbers. So that's the thing you got to look at, is that if you let Josh Jones for Pembroke, and you let Caleb Pierce, who is the Jawan quarterback that might not even play, they might put him in, who knows, but they might trust Rashad McKee because Rashad McKee's been killing it. What you going to do? Because you cannot let them pass on you like that. You cannot let them put up those numbers because this time they're going to be looking to score in the end zone. They're going to be looking to get field goals. They're going to be looking to put up points because they know that any chance you can put up points against Fayetteville State, you got to take it because that defense is dominant. So I want to know how Rashad McKeel uh, uh, do against the secondary and also this stout defensive line because Fayetteville State been knocking folks around. They sacked opposing quarterbacks 34 times for 166 yards lost. Some of these quarterbacks went right back to school based on how many yards they got sacked for, went right back home. Nine interceptions that the secondary for Fayetteville State has been able to get. And for 83 yards, 
and they forced nine fumbles this season. There's two players that they really spotlight, right? Junior defensive end, Devin Cowan, and also Cameron Merrill, who's a redshirt junior defensive end. So Devin Cowan has 55 tackles on the year, 14 tackles for loss, 24 solo tackles. Cameron Merrill, 74 tackles, 12.5 tackles for loss, and 31 solo tackles. They're like that. They should be getting pro potential because they're, and they're tall. They're, they're tall guys too. Like they, they have that pro build. So like these guys are some people to look for when you see how Rashad McKee be able to handle that pressure and also be able to pass. Or if they go with the, the other QB, like if, if they go with Caleb Pierce, I want to see how he'll be able to adjust to that pressure that the defense is going to be throwing at him on, on the defensive line. That's what I really want to see. And then you look at it against Chawan. Right, like against Caleb Pierce. Cowan had 10 tackles and two sacks. Merrill had 12 tackles and three sacks. So against Chawan, they were averaging season highs, both of them. So I want to see if that can be duplicable at this point. But also for Fayetteville State, here's the thing I really was looking at. And I was trying to figure out, okay, who's going to win? How am I going to really determine this? Because I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. But who are you going to play at quarterback? Are you playing Kyrie Lane? Are you playing, you know, that two QB system that you've been going for? So, you know, you have Damari Daniels and Caden Davis that have been getting playing time and they've been doing two QBs almost like how North Carolina A&T was doing. But Kari Lane is an FBS transfer from Arizona. And he was an amazing pickup for Fayetteville State. Like he chose an HBCU. Kari Lane hasn't played these past few games. I want to know what's going on. Is he injured? Are you just sitting them? Like, are you trying to test out the new guys? Because you have the FBS transfer that's not taking the field. And I tried to do my research. Where is he? So he had his best numbers against Virginia Union. Now, he had three interceptions. It, it, it almost looks like me playing Madden. He had three interceptions because I, I, I turned the ball. When I play sports video games, I turn the ball over. He had three interceptions, but he had also three touchdowns. He was 21 for 36, 222 yards. Versus Shawan, he was 6 for 16, 92 yards, one touchdown before he got taken out of the game and they put the other quarterback in. And he hasn't played in the last two games against Shaw and Winston-Salem. Are you going to trust your two quarterbacks that are younger or are you going to go with someone that has numbers, that has the stats, that has experience and can get you where you need to go? Because Damari DeMar, Daniels and Caden Davis, their numbers aren't amazing because they just started really getting playing time. But one thing that Fayetteville State talks is that they have Damari Daniels. He's completing 63.3% of his passes, 19 for 30 for the year. He's thrown for six touchdowns, and he threw for three specifically against St. Augustine's University. I think that in this game that I believe will be a low-scoring game, you got to put folks on the field that's going to get touchdowns. So... I would love to see Kari Lane if he's not injured. If he's injured, all bets are off. Like, play with who you have available. But I would put Kari Lane in. So unless there's something going on with grades, I don't know. If he's injured, if something else is going on, I don't know. But you got to put Kari Lane in. But my prediction, I pick Fayetteville State to win. I think their defense will be enough to limit Rashad McKee and it's going to render their offense ineffective. I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on him. It's going to be a low-scoring defensive game that I think that Fayetteville State, the Broncos, that's their mascot, is going to win. And they're going to go in the trenches, and they're going to pull out a tough one. That's really just what I believe. I said a lot. Before we get to the SIAC championship, what do you think? Do you have any takeaways on, you know, that breakdown? 
was just a little comedic relief. Um, finding out that their mascot is the Broncos, hopefully they're the opposite side of Russell Wilson and what the Broncos are doing right now in the NFL has been much luck. So hopefully that doesn't do anything to them. But just listening to you, and it kind of reminded me of um, the earlier season game where the Falcons went against former champions, the L.A. Rams. And I kind of see Fayetteville um, as – the LA Rams and more Chuan as the Falcons, you know, and then that game, what I saw was a battle of who was more productive in the red zone and looking at both of these teams, a lot of them, well, for, from Chuan's side, you kind of have more of, am I able to score when I'm down there? Do I not break down like the Falcons? Am I able to hold on to the ball and not cause so many interceptions? Because you look at the LA Rams team, which we will say would be Fayetteville state and they're good on the defensive side of the ball. And I can see that maybe he's going to track Rashad McKee and be like, hey, I know where that ball is going. I'm going to get as many interceptions as can. I'm going to pressure you as much as I can. I'm going to make sure I stop you on every third down, even fourth down, even if you try to go for it. Maybe I'll block a field goal or two. So, But on that side as well with the LA Rams, you're still going to make sure that you're consistent and that you don't get too big of a hit or you're riding off your past championship. Like, hey, you know, you got to stay in the game. But I guess one of my bigger questions is with teams that both you're looking at a team that wants to maybe run it most of the time or try to throw it in the air and then you have a team that's really good on defensive pressure if you had to choose whether offense wins games or defense wins game and I know you said this before but just looking at these teams who would you think even though you said Fayetteville State is more mature enough to win is going to be able to get past all these mistakes and all this analysis that you made and really put it down on the ground and take away this championship. I think Fayetteville State, because Fayetteville State has been here before. So one, as an institution, has not, and you'll see in CIAA at least, since 2008, they've not been in this position. They've always sort of been behind Virginia State and behind Bowie. And then you've had Virginia Union that has come up in recent years, and then Union has dominated this year. So, you know, they've always sort of been the middle of the pack or just at the bottom at this point. So now they're at this point where they're in the championship. This is new to them. This is new for their institution. This is new for the players. But Fayetteville State, you've gone against Bowie and you've consistently lost. That has to be the message is that we can't drop a fourth straight championship. Like we've done well in our division, but we have to hold our hat on defense. So you have a defense that's that dominant that's holding you to 114 yards passing and only five passing touchdowns on the year against quarterbacks that are pretty good. And even the quarterbacks were putting up numbers and couldn't get it in the end zone. I think that Fayetteville State, they have a great chance with their defense. But what scares me is are they going to be able to score? Because a lot of these games against better teams, both in division and, and also out of division, like even against UNC Pembroke, that was a 15-13 game. So are you going to be able to score? And that's like the thing I think about when it comes to these Division two teams and the SIAC as well as the CAAA is are you going to be able to score? Because If you're employing a run-first offense, it's going to be sort of low-scoring ground and pound. That's what it's going to be. So with a run-first offense, are you going to be able to put up the points on the board to help your team win? That's the real question, and that's why I'm not really looking at Chawan to win. 
I'm looking at Fayetteville State's defense to carry them. That's why I want to see if Kari Lane is going to play because I know that Kari Lane can make things happen. Now, he, he, turned, he was turning the ball over a lot against Union, three interceptions, but three touchdowns, 222 yards. That's what you need. You need someone that's capable to do that and then also can make things happen. But we got to get to the main event. The main event is the SIAC Championship featuring the only undefeated team in Super Region 2, which is Benedict College, versus the blue blood of HBCU football, Tuskegee University. I'm so excited, and I got to say this, I'm so proud of my conference because we've had some years where I'm like, man, this is is bad football. However, this year was really good, a lot of great storylines, and I appreciate Benedict, and I thank Coach Chenisberry, like, we really needed this. And I appreciate Coach Ruffin as well because we, we had some 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 uh, some very interesting games. A lot of them weren't streamed. Um, of course, Benedict's se- whole entire season was basically on HBC League Pass Plus, and he had a couple games with ESPN. So you were able to go back and see those games, right? But I just really appreciate the entertainment factor that the SIAC has given us this year. So let's talk about Tuskegee University, all right? So Tuskegee, when I say they're the Blue Bloods, they're the Blue Bloods. They are like the Grambling of Division II. Because you had Grambling with Eddie Robinson. They have amazing numbers, Hall of Famers, Super Bowl champions, whole entire nine yards. Tuskegee might not have that level of success of a Grambling, but Tuskegee has been dominant in HBCU football. 29 side championships the most in history. 707 victories in program history. The fourth most wins, not in HBCUs. Division II football history and the most among HBCUs. They know how to make championships. They made this side championship in 2017 where they beat Fort Valley. Yeah, I was there. They, they beat us. It was a very ugly game. It'd be for Valley. They, they did. I was, I was definitely, I was covering the game. You know what I'm saying? Tom Joyner Foundation. You know, shot Tom Joyner. You feel me? Beat him 13 to 6. You know, uh, I was I was at the game, and that was the first time that they had it on the campus of the division winner. Because now they switch off versus 2017. They switch off between the SIAC East division winner and the SIAC West division winner. So, of course, this year, the SIAC championship is going to be in Columbia, South Carolina, on the campus of Benedict College. Now, you have Dr. Holloman that is in power. He might change that back where it's a neutral site. It really all depends. But we'll see what happens, you know, moving forward. But, you know, it's going to be in Benedict. So I think that that's going to be interesting. All right. So, however, Tuskegee has all of these amazing accomplishments and they have so much amazing history in sports, especially in football. But experts expect them to be a middle of the pack team behind Miles and Lane. In the SIAC, preseason polls. They thought they would be middle of the pack. They ain't going to be that good. They're going to be all right, five and five, you know, maybe, you know, but they outperformed that. Now, granted, they had some moments, and we'll talk about it in a second, but they've been here before. I mean, I I, I expected them less from Tuskegee because I, I, I knew that Fort Valley would outperform the preseason, the preseason polls. I knew that Benedict was coming, and I've said this repeatedly at the start of the season. I thought Morehouse was going to really be better than they were. I thought that Morehouse really was going to come in, and like now it's going to be their year because they were beating everybody down last year. But the big thing is that the West was sort of wide open. I saw that Lane was improving, 
when 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 Coach Ruffin left Miles to go to Tuskegee and took a lot of their players, I knew that Miles wouldn't be the same because your coach and the players left. <laughs> like 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 what like like that. Like, are you gotta understand this, Ario? Like you gotta understand how crazy this is. The coach and their players left. That's like Bill Belichick saying, "Hey, Tom Brady, let's go." Look, we out of here. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 New England. Like that's literally the, that's how it is. So how you think a team is gonna be if you take significant players and then the coach that sets up that system and sets the culture leaves and goes to your rival in the same state and your rival is Tuskegee? They've been here before. Coach Ruffin led Miles College to four Syac championships, five total appearances because they lost to Albany State last year and two NCAA Division II playoff appearances. My thing is, like, they've been here before. Tuskegee as a program has been here before. Like, they're, they have a legacy and lineage of success, and Coach Ruffin has had success in recent memory. They, Coach Ruffin has beaten Tuskegee. Now he's taking them to the championship. That's a flex. That man goaded like that. He liked that. But here's my thing. They started off slow because for Valley beat them. <laughs> for Valley beat them. Well, we got them. We got them. Emmanuel Wilson went crazy. I was watching that game live with ESPN. Fourth quarter, Emmanuel Wilson breaks through. He literally finds a hole in the middle of the defense, runs through, gets a touchdown, and the game was over because it was a low-scoring game before Emmanuel Wilson got that. Then you play against Hampton, and Hampton beats them. They start off 0-2, but then they win eight straight, including getting their 700th victory in school history against the University of West Alabama. Won 13 to 10. They won eight straight games after those first two losses. I think that shows me that coaching matters because how do you motivate your players after you lose to essentially a rival like Fort Valley? Like they, they've dominated Fort Valley in our history. Like they, they beat us in the, in the side championship um, in the early 2010s, then in 2017. Like, and then they, they played us. They've dominated us. I think we have our only losing record against a team, like a, like a definitive losing record in all-time matchup against Tuskegee. Like, they've always just been that great. But you lose against Fort Valley, and then you lose against Hampton. But then you beat all the teams in your division. Then you beat University of West Alabama. That is a season for the books, and it is a shame that it was not streamed. I'm upset at that. I'm upset that Coach Willie Slater, that now coaches for Clark Atlanta, we didn't get a chance to see that game. It wasn't streamed. We didn't get a chance to, to see the Allen game. Well, that Allen game, like Allen almost pulled it off, but it didn't happen. We did see the Central State game. We, did, like, we, did see, we didn't see the Lane game, but we saw the game against Kentucky State. We saw the game against Mouse. But here's my thing. The problem with Tuskegee this year is this. They've been a really great defensive team in recent memory, especially in that side championship. They are for value to some awful numbers in that 13-6 game. It was some awful numbers. I don't even want to read them. Just know I was there. It was some awful numbers. But they've been in some offensive shootouts, and it's not been a lot of defense. Versus Allen, you give up 380 passing yards and three touchdowns. Versus Clark Atlanta, you give up 180 passing yards. That's fine. 176 rushing yards. Okay, that's a normal game. But four rushing touchdowns and two passing touchdowns. Versus Central State. Coach Porter, Coach Kevin Porter, he was at Fort Valley. Central State, 501 passing yards. 211 rushing yards. You gave up four passing touchdowns. 
at one rushing touchdown, Central State averaged 274 passing yards. They could have played two, two regular games and didn't get the 501. I don't know that for a fact. Like, I'm, I'm going to have to cut it out. I don't know that for a fact. But I might cut it out. But you gave up that much? That's what that's what's really scared me going into this. This ain't the same Tuskegee of recent years that was dominant in defense. Then versus Lane, you give up 202 passing yards, 246 rushing yards, three touchdowns. Folks have been scoring on you on the ground and in the air. Now, you've won because you can score as well. But that ain't good. That's not good going into this matchup against Benedict. Because how can, how can Tuskegee win? First, pray. Okay, I need him to pray. Okay, that's, that's the first thing. Because y'all, you got you to pray. You got to pray for real. But, but pray that you're going to be able to stop history. Because, spoiler alert, Benedict's going to win. Love Tuskegee. Love their history. But Benedict is going to win. But here's how Tuskegee can win. It's not going to be a blowout. But here's how Tuskegee can win. They have to find some way to stop Benedict's run game. Because Benedict isn't a team that is going to win the game through the air. I think they have the ability to, but they haven't had to. They averaged 165 rushing yards per game, 26 rushing touchdowns on the season. Their passing yards are more expansive, but they have 18 passing touchdowns. The players really to watch for Benedict is their two running back system. Their two most productive backs because they have a lot of amazing running backs in that running back room. We have Norzire Scotland. He's the best running back in the SIAC alongside Fort Valley. It's Emmanuel Wilson. And I've been saying that for a minute. He has five, he has 544 rushing yards, 109 attempts, 54 yards per game in that area, six rushing touchdowns. DeAndre Duhart, who he's another guy really to watch, 474 rushing yards on 64 attempts, 52 yards per game, eight rushing touchdowns. I just don't think that the ski's going to be able to stop that. But if they can, if you can force them to pass, you stuff the middle, you, you, you give pressure, make it where they can't move the ball down the field running, and you force Eric Phoenix to pass, that's how you win. But are you really ready to provide pressure to Eric Phoenix in the pocket? He has a 64% completion on his passes. For the year, he's 126 for 196. 143 passing yards per game, 12 passing touchdowns. Eric Phoenix is composed, and when he has to pass, he does it well. He was doing that all against Fort Valley during our homecoming on October the 1st. That's all he was doing. So if he has to pass the ball, he's passed it well. But are you going to be able to apply pressure to him to make it harder to get those passes complete? But also, can you score on Benedict? Can you score on Benedict? Benedict is the best defense they played all year. That's not conjecture. That's not my opinion. That's the truth. Benedict is sixth in total defense. That's the highest HBCU on that list behind Fayetteville State. They're number seven. They hold their opponents to 11 points per game, 120 rushing yards, 116 passing yards, five rushing touchdowns, and nine passing touchdowns. And Benedict hasn't played scrubs. They didn't play the University of West Alabama, but they played Albany State. They played Fort Valley. They played Savannah State. They played Clark Atlanta that put up 43 on Tuskegee. They played Allen that put up points on Tuskegee. And they were able to hold them to that amount. 
five rushing touchdowns, nine passing touchdowns, 11 points per game. None of Tuskegee's other opponents rank in the top 50. Like you, you can't even point to a game and say, hey, this is the game. You can't really even point to a game because they, they could have lost last week to, to Miles. And anybody at Tuskegee that really is going to be authentic is going to tell you that. It's like Miles almost got us, and Miles wasn't, wasn't even all that great this year on paper. Tuskegee won 26 to 23. Like, I just, I'm sorry. Like, like I, I know Tuskegee is great, and they could win, and I wouldn't be shocked because they have championship pedigree, and you cannot count out Reginald Ruffin, and they are a good team. But you're playing against Benedict College. They're the new kids on the block. This is their first SIAC championship appearance in school history. They're undefeated, 10-0, the best season in school history. And they, I want to say this because the people sleep on the SIAC, and everybody talks about the CIAA. They're the only undefeated team in Division II, Super Region II, and they're ranked number one, not in HBCU polls, not just in the SIAC, in Super Region II. And that region features the Seattle Blade, the SIAC, the SAC, the Gulf, the Gulf South. And the Gulf South is home of Adult State, Delta State, and the University of West Georgia. And they won five Division II national championships in the past 22 years. No HBCU has won one. This is history. And we've seen it on HBC League Pass Plus. We've seen it on ESPN, all the different stuff. We've seen it. So, honestly, I, I, I don't know how Tuskegee's going to beat them because Benedict's proved the dominance early. They beat Fort Valley. They beat Savannah State. They beat Albany, which, by the way, the, the Fort Valley game was, was actually for the championship because we beat Albany. So, But they beat Fort Valley. They beat Albany State. They beat Savannah State. They swept through Georgia. They beat Clark Atlanta and Morehouse. And I honestly believe that for Benedict, the Albany State University game that was on HBC League Pass Plus, you can go watch it. That was their signature game. Albany played Benedict better than any other team on their schedule because they were just running through teams. They ran through Fort Valley. They, they were able to be very effective against Savannah State. They beat down Morehouse. They beat down Clark Atlanta. They beat down Elizabeth City. Like they beat down uh, Lane and Kentucky State. So, like, on their schedule, Albany State was the closest, not just in the box score, in the game. Yeah, Benedict came out and scored two straight rushing touchdowns, but Albany fought back and made it interesting going into the fourth quarter. Albany State passed for 234 yards, had two passing touchdowns of those nine on the season. Albany State had two passing touchdowns. Albany State would not quit, and they even had a chance to win the game after forcing a fumble on the QB Neal. I've never seen that before in my life. But Benedict was able to stop their run game. Because Albany came in as a great running team, and like I was saying before, they were better than Albany. Albany rushed for 90 yards, and that's their second loss on the season because Fort Valley held them to 86 yards this past weekend. I'm just, this, this ain't about Fort Valley. It's about Benedict. But still, you know, we, we, held them, we held them to a low percentage too, but Benedict held them to 90 yards. Then they beat Savannah State, and they played some great defense against them. They were projected to finish number two behind Albany in the East Division, in the preseason polls. So people knew that Benedict was going to be good. But no one, even the students, didn't expect them to be this good. But here's the thing. Let, let, let's, let's go on and get to it. How can they win? They have to continue to handle business and rise to the moment because they're going to win. <laughs> like, like, they're going to win. They, like, Benedict is the better team. 
on paper, they're the better offensive team. They're the better defensive team. You know, they, they've won against better opponents than Tuskegee has won against. Tuskegee has that great win against University of West Alabama, but University of West Alabama is a middle of the, a middling team in their conference. But you beat Fort Valley, you beat Albany, you beat Savannah State, you beat Lane, and had like beat them 14-0. You had Tuskegee that had a shootout with Lane. You have to really look at, like, Benedict is the better team. They're, they're not the better program historically. Tuskegee's amazing. But, to, but this Saturday, I can't say next year, but this Saturday, Benedict's the better team. They won their games by a higher margin. They beat Tuskegee in every metric except rush average per game because Tuskegee averages 71.4 rush yards versus Benedict is averaging 165 rush yards. But it evens out. It's not like, oh, it's a, a disproportionate advantage. It evens out. The big question is this. Can Eric Phoenix be a playmaker? Because the only game plan that Tuskegee can employ on, on defense is to try your best to make it hard for Eric Phoenix. That's the only thing. Try to make it where you can't run the ball. You got to force Eric Phoenix. You got to beat me in this big matchup. Where everybody's watching. But there's nothing that tells me Eric Phoenix can't do that. He hasn't had the opportunity to because they've been so dominant and then they've ran the ball down and he's been able to get, you know, some easy passes, some easy rushes. But like, you got like, you got to force Eric Phoenix to beat you. Once again, stats on the year, 126 of 196, 64% completion, 143 passing yards per game, 12 passing touchdowns. Now, if Tuskegee does bring the pressure and tries to pack the middle and then when he passes, they try to really force him out his flow. That's going to be interesting. I think that's going to force Eric Phoenix to get creative. So he's going to have to probably use his legs a little bit more than he has because he's a capable runner, but he normally sort of is like a game manager style quarterback and just gives the ball to the running back. But Benedict is going to win this game. I'm never, ever going to disrespect Coach Reznor Ruffin because he knows how to win. He's a champion, but they just are not the better team. They're the underdogs this time. Ben Nick's the better team, and they're chasing history. And one thing that, that you, you'll find out is it's hard to be history. Ben Nick can go 11-0, and they can go into the playoffs undefeated and maybe even get a first-round bye. And they can have a legitimate chance to make it out of Super Region 2 and possibly win a national championship and maybe get the closest that any D2HBCU has ever gotten. I just don't think Tuskegee is going to beat them. I think it's going to be a tough game because Tuskegee is a great team. They're just not better than Benedict. I think it's going to come down to either a touchdown or a field goal. It's going to be probably the game of the weekend. But Benedict is going to win. They're going to be 11-0. and And, oh, man, it's going to be a party in Columbia, South Carolina. And I feel for them. I'm not a Benedict alum, but I got a bunch of love for, for Benedict. Got a lot of friends and a lot of clients and associates that went to, graduated from, or attended Benedict. So I'm excited for them. So I think that Benedict is definitely going to win. But Ariel, what do you think? Well, that's our show, guys. Thanks for um, <laughs> being with us. You know, there's, there's no, I, I don't even think we need a D1 segment this time. I mean, you, it's really like, like how we said in the, how I said in the beginning, like how we were D2 literally just took over this weekend. But I can actually agree with you after, because I, I watched that Morehouse and Benedict game. 
and I'm scared. I'm so scared for Tuskegee, looking at how dominant Benedict is in both aspects, whether it's in the run especially or if they're playing it in air. I don't think there's anything that Tuskegee can do, which is the impossible, which is try to outscore them. And basically when you have a quarterback that's, you know, if you don't have a quarterback that is adaptable, and I'm not saying that Phoenix can't be adaptable, but if you're not that person originally in origin, that's not your innate ability. I think that's going to be really hard if you try to transform yourself in a game that's so important. So I'm, I have hope. I want to have hope. I love a good underdog story. You know me. I'm a Falcons fan. We're forever underdogs. But if they do this, I would be so proud, and I can't wait to talk about their win next week. But like you, like you said, I Benedict is the better team, and I see them in person, and I see how they play. And if they don't come out with this win, I, I don't, I think it's more on Benedict than it is on Tuskegee. I feel like Tuskegee still has their history, and they still have that pedigree where, even though we made it and we didn't win again, it's a loss, but it's not as deep as it would be for Benedict. I think this is more of a chance for them to really prove themselves and be the team that they were throughout the season. But I, like I said, I have to agree. I don't, <laughs> I have no faith. I don't have trust. That's because that to see you can do the impossible and do it out and transform their quarterback in one weekend, but anything can happen. We've been proven wrong before. But, hey, it it is what it is. I'm just ready to see. I think this is literally the game of the weekend, and I cannot wait to watch it. If any team can, you know, do the impossible and and beat Benedict and and ruin their season, it's Tuskegee. Like, if if any team. Like, but I I just, how how Benedict has performed and that mantra of one and all, like just taking it one game at a time. I just, I just don't see Benedict losing unless they just, you know, don't, don't, you know, show up. If they don't show up in the game and they get caught in the lights and the attention, that's what will beat them. But I just think that, you know, with Coach Chenisberry, they're going to be motivated in such a different way because he's instilled just like a level, you know, of, of just dominance, you know what I'm saying? Like just in this team and, I just I can't pick against them, but HBCUs and D two playoffs really quickly. Benedict and Virginia Union their locks to get in, but Fort Valley beat Albany State this weekend, thirty one to twenty one. We finally beat them. Like they they've dominated us, but we finally beat them. And the rankings right now, as we're speaking, are Benedict number one, Delta State number two. West Florida, number three, Virginia Union, number four, Wingate University, number five, Mars Hill, number six, and FESU is eight and two. They are number seven. This is Super Region 2. You know, you have each region that they have, they have like, you know, um, a different system for, for the playoffs. Then, you know, each region, they send their teams that win in their specific region to like the a final four type scenario, right? So you looking to possibly have more HBCUs than you've ever had in there if Fort Valley gets to go. But here's the thing. Fort Valley would need Limestone, West Georgia, and pretty ironically, Tuskegee to lose to make the playoffs. Because Limestone 7-2, they play Emory and Henry, and they're 5-5. Five and five. Tuskegee, of course, they play Benedict in the SIAC Championship. West Georgia plays North Greenville University 3-7. and seven. Emory and Henry and North Greenville are terrible. Benedict's not. So Tuskegee is most likely going to lose, but I just, I don't see Limestone or West Georgia losing. 
because both of them are, are, are seven and two. They're eight and two. They, Fort Valley can still make it, but it just makes it really interesting. And in what they're going to look at, they're going to look at strength of schedule. So if they go and look at strength of schedule, the fact that Fort Valley didn't play any D1 teams or they didn't play a University of West Alabama or Valdosta like, like, like Union did, like they just pretty much play, you know, within the conference, you know, I think. And then they play, they play, you know, Bluefield instead of going for a splashier D2 opponent. Like, I think that that could work against them with that strength of schedule argument. The same way that, of course, the precedent was last year, Albany State and Bowie made the playoffs, but Savannah State was 8-2, and two and they were snubbed. So I think you could see a situation where now, instead of Albany State and Bowie, it's Virginia Union and Benedict, and you see Fort Valley snubbed. But that does not take away from the amazing season that Coach Sean gives, that North Carolina A&T Aggie, yeah, should be careful, you know what I mean? But listen, he was amazing. He is an amazing coach. I'm so excited for the future. I hope he's able to stay for two to three years because I know most likely he's gone. I know most likely like a school is going to nab him up, maybe North Carolina a but a school is going to nab him up. I'm already knowing, but two to three years, get us back to winning, get us another win in the Fountain City Classic, get us a SIAC championship, and sir, you right, you right there with the great coaches, the Lomax Porters, you, you right up there with them, sir, because you got us back where we needed to be. And had we beaten Benedict, we'd be having a different conversation right now because I think that Fort Valley would be playing Tuskegee in a rematch. And I think that Fort Valley this time around would be the favorite and they'd have a great chance. So this has been an amazing year for Fort Valley. I know that Savannah State game was a lot, but I'm excited for our future. But, you know, that's all for D2, Ario. You see, it's very interesting. You're right. It's, it's a lot going on. You know, Jack State just beating everybody. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, you know, so like Jack State is out here just, just beating everybody. So it's it, in D1, it's, 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 you know, a lot. But, um, you know, D2, I'm, I don't want to just say this for, you know, we move on. I'm just very proud. I'm, I'm very proud of, you know, both conferences. I'm very proud of Division Two as a whole because this has just been some great football. I think this is going to go down no matter what. This is going to go down as one of the best years in Division Two in football and one of the best years in the SIAC for sure. In the CIAA, we commend, we commend Virginia Union uh, for what they did. Um, and we'll see what happens with Chawan and Fayetteville State. But really quickly, Ariel, let's go on and get to D1. You know, because like you D1, you know, North Carolina A&T, the dynasty out here in the building, they making it happen in, in, in the Big South. So let's look at some scores. So Mississippi Valley State, they beat Alabama A&M 30-20. Alcorn beat Prairie View, surprisingly, 23-16. Hampton loses to William & Mary 20-14. When I saw the name of that of that school, I like I was like William and Mary. Is it Mary Magdalene and Jesus? Like like you know, I was like that's an interesting school name. All right, so Stony Brook beat Morgan State 24-22. Delaware State beat South Carolina State 27-24. That was a shocker. North Carolina A and T beat Norfolk 49-24. Uh, Grambling beat University of Oxford Pine Bluff 36-10. Uh, North Carolina Central beat down Howard 58-21. Bethune-Cookman lost to Alabama State 37-22. Southeast Missouri State beat Tennessee State 42-0. Uh, Jackson State beat Texas Southern 41-14. And Travis Hunter played both sides of the ball. Uh, FAMU beat Southern 30-16. So it was very interesting when we looked at um, you know some of the uh, Division I SWAC and MEAC scores because I think we sort of know 
uh, you know, what the championship picture and the swag is going to look like and honestly what the celebration ball is going to look like. You know, Ariel, you know, uh, let's get to our game of the week. So my games of the week, I don't got to say nothing. I don't got to say too much because I've said a lot already. So CIAA, side championship games, those are my games of the week. But Ariel, what's your game of the week? My game of the week, uh, I think it's pretty interesting because you had a good one last week and now I have a good one this week. FAMU versus Alabama State. I think it's ironic that these two teams are both teams that have lost to Jackson State but are still trying to kind of prove themselves. And um, I would say FAMU and Alabama State are two and three in standings, actually, in the SWAC. I want. I know FAMU is definitely up there. I think they are number two, but Alabama State is up there in the top five as well. So it's kind of interesting to see these two kind of play together, and I, I can't wait to watch them as well as watch the D2 um Champion championships going on between the SAG and the CIAA, uh, but yeah, that's that's my game. I just want to, I want to see who's going to be more dominant. Because uh, FAMU and Alabama State both had to grow up this season. They both had to figure out some problems when it came to players, coaching, different systems, how to work with ball, where they flowed at, and it's never really good to try to be a team that figures out their flow this late in the season or actually try to come back up this late in the season. So I really want to see who has matured, which team was actually going to be better. I, I definitely think Alabama State has a lot more to prove than what FAMU has. But I I I don't want to make like a certain prediction, but I just feel like FAMU is going to inch out of there during this Saturday's game. Yeah, uh, I think so too. Um, I, I really want FAMU uh, to make it back to the playoffs in Division One uh, because I think that, you know, this year – like the motivation that they're playing with and, you know, all the, you know, the adversity they had to deal with. And then how even with that adversity, they played so well against, you know, University of North Carolina. Uh, I think that if they were to make the playoffs this year, they'd know what to do. And then you have, you know, Isaiah Land, you know, that is getting strong draft considerations. Xavier Smith is is a, is a dominant talent. You know, Jeremy Musa, I mean, I think he should be getting some consideration because he's a really great pocket passer. Uh, so I would love to see them make uh, the the playoffs again, but Alabama State is the shocker, you know, of, of of the swag this year. Like no one thought that they would be this good so quickly, and I I know that a lot of the narrative around Coach Eddie Robinson Jr. is you know the shove, you know, with Deion Sanders and what happened after that game. But, you know, I know people, that's still been the domineering conversation with the song, if, who is swag, you know, like by, by, by Sway to Read Miss God, who went, and Sway, Sway to Read Miss God went to Albany State, so shout out to him. You know, I know that's been the dominating, you know, narrative and all that, but he has been putting together just a lot of great wins. He wins the Magic City Classic. He's beating the teams he's supposed to beat. I think that with, the, with a good recruiting class, and he has like you know, another year, you know, with his players, I think that they're really going to be right there. They, and they're right there now with FAMU um, and Jackson State. But I think that next year they'll be more poised uh, the, to take down that monopoly that Jackson State and FAMU has had. Um, you know, if Coach Simmons you know, continues to be at FAMU and, and Deion Sanders, he stays at Jackson State, I think that Alabama State is the rightful heir, you know, to that throne. And then those those Jackson State FAMU games next year are going to really mean a lot because I think that Alabama State, depending on when they play Jackson State and FAMU, I think they come out the gate swinging and they want to say, hey, we're going to the, the Celebration Bowl. We're going to the SWAC Championship. So I think that Eddie Robinson Jr. is putting together, you know, some some great stuff. So, But I think that FAMU this year, is going to win out. Uh, but let's go on and talk about what's going on this weekend as far as the overall slate of games. Of course, as you know, the SIAC and CIAA are having their championship games. 
and there are going to be, you know, playoff games that are going on. No, I'm lying. There are going to be some games that are going on in other conferences. As of right now, I do not know if Fort Valley is going to try to get another game to make the playoffs because some teams do that. And a lot of a lot of people are saying, man, Fort Valley, go 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 in and try to schedule another game real quick so you can be be not be you know nine and two, and then it can make things real interesting. I don't recommend that because I don't want you know Fort Valley just to rush and try to play a game and then a player gets hurt. So I do not know if that is going to happen. But the list that's on Onadan, we, that's not there. But, of course, you know, we'll update and we'll talk about that next week if that does happen. But a lot of teams have been calling for that. Uh, but you have also have Howard versus South Carolina State. Uh, you have Hampton versus Elon. You have North Carolina a versus Charleston Southern. You have Edward Waters versus Allen. You have Norfolk State versus North Carolina Central. You have Alabama State versus FAMU. That's Ario's game of the week. You have Alcorn versus Bethune-Cookman. You have University of Arkansas, Palm Bluff versus Prairie View A&M. You have Delaware State versus Morgan State. You have, the, you have Tennessee State versus UT Martin. You have Alabama A&M versus Jackson State. You have Southern versus Mississippi Valley State. You have Texas Southern versus Grambling State. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting because the SWAC West is sort of still wide open because Southern lost to FAMU, Prairie View lost to Alcorn. So although we sort of know who it's going to come down to, it's still getting really interesting. So that's a lot, it's a lot of good football to watch. And then Black Panther comes out this, this weekend too, so he does that too. Um, so yeah, and then also the elections too, trying to see you know what's going on. So it's going to be a lot. Get, get, get some sleep and drink some water, all right? But anyway... Aria, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on social media at askgroovy underscore underscore on Twitter or visit my website, www.theunexedopinion.bluely.com. And surely, congratulations to Central becoming first again, beating Howard. I cannot wait to who it comes down to, but Central is holding on to my dreams right now, so I'm super excited. Yeah, so um, we have a lot of great stuff coming up with HBCU Pulse. Ariel knows what's going on. You know, we, we hopefully we can um, have a big announcement really soon. Uh, but as of now, you can follow us at HBCU Pulse on Instagram and on YouTube, the HBCU Pulse on TikTok and Twitter. Of course, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcasts. And also make sure to check out our channel on HBCU League Pass Plus. We're channel 201. But thank you so much for tuning in. Watch the Sonic and Saddle Championship. Definitely check that out. It's going to be some good football, and y'all will not be disappointed. Nevertheless, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we'll see you on the other side. Like what you hear? Uh, yeah. Subscribe to HBCU Pulse Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, head to HBCUPulse.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the HBCU community. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening to HBCU, HBCU Pulse, Pulse Radio. Radio.